Hello and welcome to the Sheffield Libraries podcast. My name is Dan and in this episode I talk to best-selling author John D. Burns. His latest book, Wild Winter, details his mission to rediscover Scotland's mountains, remote places and wildlife in the darkest and stormiest of months. I hope you enjoy listening. John D. Burns, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thanks for having me. <laughs> so, John, you're the, the author of four books, including the recently published Wild Winter, In Search of Nature in Scotland's Mountain Landscape. Can you tell us, um, to begin with, a little more about yourself and your writing? Yeah, well, my writing began, I suppose, about, about, about uh, 10 years ago. Uh, I, 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 it really started as a, a, a kind of quest. I, I started out as a performance poet. Um, this is that was at a time when uh, performance poetry was still uh, a fairly strange animal. Uh, it's become much more mainstream now. Um, and I guess I was I was trying to find a, an outlet for my expressions and, and, and a way of uh, a vehicle to, for, to, for being creative. And strangely enough, my, my writing about the outdoors began when I had decided that I would spend no more time in the outdoors. I, I reached a point in my life, uh, uh, I thought, well, I've, I've really kind of done the outdoors. I spent my life in the, in the mountains and climbing and walking and I don't know. It, it, it seemed to me that the, the being an author and spending your life outdoors was a contradiction. And so I, I decided, well, I'll, 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 I'll spend no more time in these hills. And but, I, but it was an odd thing. I couldn't just walk away. I felt I had to say goodbye. And in doing so, I thought, well, well, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of, I wrote The Last Hill Walker, which was um, a memoir. Um, and I thought, well, I'll write The Last Hill Walker and I'll put that away. And um, that will be the end of my contact with the outdoors. But, but the odd thing that happened, but I didn't, what I didn't realize is that in writing something, you change yourself. It's a journey. And as I wrote The Last Hill Walker, I relived a lot of the experience which experiences which had connected me to the outdoors. And oddly enough, that rekindled my, my interest and my thirst to be in wild places. Um, and I, I never really expected the, 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 the Last Hill Walker to, to, to be anything like as popular as it was, uh, as it still is really. And um, I suppose in a way, I, I, I think I wrote um, the, the memoir, not just of myself, but of my a whole generation of folk who had gained interest and, and started to explore the outdoors. And I, I wrote then, well, then went on to write Bothy Tales, which was really a, a, some of the, the stories and yarns that, that I'd, I'd experienced in exploring Bothy's. And my appreciation of the outdoors has changed over the years. I'm now much more interested in the environment and the natural history of the areas that I visit. And I've also become uh, quite passionate about what's happening to our, our landscape in terms of how it's in, in a way being destroyed by um, 
kind of hunting that takes place and by driven grouse shooting. And so I wanted to bring some of those arguments, some of those views to um, the general public. And so I, 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 I wrote um, Skydance, which was a, a, a comic novel, a fairly unusual beast, really. <laughs> and that, that I wrote that because I wanted to make the, the points that I was talking about about what's happening in our in our wild places um i wanted to bring that to a new audience um i didn't want to I, i'm not capable of writing the sort of academic books that there are out there but i wanted to make it a story that people wanted to read uh, um and then more recently when i wrote um wild winter i i, I thought well you know what I, what I write about really is journeys and so i, I wanted to write my journey through a winter and so that's that's really what what sort of got me now how my writings developed and uh what where it's got me right now i have to say i mean talking about journeys you really sort of swept me along as well the last week or so when i've been dipping into this book in the evenings i finished work and i've sat down on the sofa and i've i've been sort of with you in these bodies as you've been <laughs> you know, writing the book, because you, you did a lot of the writing out there in, in nature. And, I did, yes. <laughs> but, yeah, I honestly, I honestly found myself reaching for, for blankets at times. Like it felt, <laughs> yeah, the, the connection was was amazing. Um, you, a lot of your writing, your writing, it's concentrated on Scotland, on the Highlands. You're clearly mm -hmm. not from Scotland, judging by the accent. No. <laughs> but you've been up there a long time. Yeah, more than half my life in the Highlands. So I, I'm sort of, I now take uh, salt in my porridge. And I think, <laughs> I think that actually makes me almost Scottish, you know? Good grief. Yeah. Wow. Um, and you were part of the um, Cairngorm Mountain Rescue team for a while yeah, as well. Yeah. yeah. So we're talking to someone that understands hills and the outdoors and uh, is sort of well able to, uh, to experience a wild winter up in Scotland. Certainly, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, although it was a weird one because mm, you, mm, you, you mm. didn't quite manage to finish the journey. No, no, it, it was well. It, I, I, I was. Um, it was a winter, of course, like no other, because it was the um, the winter uh, when in 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 towards the end of that winter, when uh, in, in March we went into into lockdown. Uh, and my my when I started to write Wild Winter, what I wanted to, to do was to write about what I consider to be um, the the natural winter of Scotland, which in the Highlands can begin in October, and that that's when the the, the stags rut um, and can take you right the way through in as, as it's doing actually right now uh, it, it's winter very much winter in the hills in fact it's it's winter almost right outside my window right now <laughs> um <laughs> in may uh and, and may is when the the uh the fawns the young deer are born who were conceived in the in the autumn of the previous year um so i was hoping to to continue my my adventures if you like um in, in, into April and May, uh, but obviously that 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 stopped. That was that was shut down by by lockdown. But um, strangely enough, I think um, because a lot of the time when I was finishing the book, I was almost incarcerated <laughs> in my flat in Inverness. It felt as though uh, I, I was separated from the wild places that I love to be in. 
Um, and that, that was a blessing and a, and, and a curse because it, it was uh, a curse in that you, you would think for a writer being in lockdown and, and, and chained to a desk uh, and not allowed out would be a perfect opportunity to finish a book. But in fact, I, I found it actually made things a lot more difficult because I, I didn't have the, the, the time to, to wander the hills and to sort of de-stress and to get myself in, 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 in connection with the places that I like and things that I enjoy. And that, 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 made, that drained my creativity, really. Um, but it was a blessing, I suppose, looking back on the book, and I think probably Wild Winter is a better book because of it, in that it made me look really hard at what um, the wild world meant to me, and I think means to an awful lot of people. Yeah, I think I think all the research that's come out looking at this over the last year has really sort of cemented that, nailed down sort of how important the natural world and that that escape is and has been, continues to be. Yeah, yeah, that's um, right. I think also it kind of places the book in, in that moment in time as well. Mm. It's an interesting piece of writing in its own right that that reveals something of that moment. Um, you know, it's it something major just happened to the world and you've recorded it from a slightly <laughs> yeah. different angle, but you know, it's uh yes, it's there yes. to be to be looked at in generations to come and yeah, people take something from that. I didn't think of it like that when I was writing it, but but looking back on it now, yes, I think that's right. I think it, 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 it's, it's. I suppose it's a bit like people going through the blitz, you know what I mean? Yes. It, it, it's a bit like people, when people write these accounts of of experiences that that that, that seem so out, out of the way and so strange. I mean, maybe people will look back, you know, uh, and read it in twenty or thirty years, and, and perhaps it'll give some sort of snapshot of what life was like during a pandemic. I think so. I think so. So you've got, um, you're going to read a bit of the book to us. Yes, if you like. Yes. I'm yeah, happy. go for yeah. it. Okay. This is a passage when I, we've already mentioned Bothies and this is, this is me, me heading out of a Bothy uh, in Sutherland. One of, the, one of the places that I love is Sutherland. It's, it's, it's right in the far north of Scotland. It's, it's wild, it's huge, it's remote. And for most of the year, if you go up there in the winter as I do, it's Basically, there's nobody there, and uh, it's it's a fantastic area. So this is one morning after I uh, spent the night in the Bothy. The morning is still when I take the short path to return to my car from the Bothy. Last night's rain has cleared away, leaving only the full pools on the path to mark its passage. The lock stretches endlessly away, its dark waters leading my eyes on towards the distant snow-dusted hills. The lock is mirror still, and the water moves slowly as if it has turned to glycerine. Beyond the shore, my boots thud across the wooden bridge that takes me over the tiny river that cuts through the isthmus that joins the two locks together. The river is only a hundred meters long as it runs between the two locks, but I can never resist pausing in such a place and looking deep into the water, a legacy of my angling youth. There is a narrow strip of sand, less than a metre of cross, that borders the river water and separates it from the shingle. I scan the sand for signs of passing wildlife. A flat beach is like a book recording for a while the passage of any man or creature. 
signatures in the sand that last until the next wave erases them or the rain and wind wipe the sand clean. When I was small, my father pointed out to me the minute signs of the paths made by mice and other animals as they passed. Tiny roads through the grass or leaf mold made by the passage of a hundred micro feet. Once seen, I could not forget such tracks and sort them out wherever I could. Even now, I always take a moment to see what tales the marks in the ground can tell. Sometimes I see a badger's paw print, often deer, and now and then the rounded imprint of the toes of a pine marten show in the mud. Any hill walker will soon learn to distinguish between a path made by the feet of men that is worth following to a summit or perhaps back to the security of a road and that of a deer which will take the walker off into the unknown. Learning the signs of animals is little different. I check one side of the bridge but the sand is blank. I check the other side where the strip of sand narrows to meet the shingle less than half a meter away. At first I see nothing written on the fine, granular surface of the beach. Perhaps the wind has wiped away the passage of any creatures like a fading memory. Then I see what I'm looking for. Just at the water's edge, there is a sign the wind has missed. It is the poor mark of an otter made as he stepped from the water. As he rose from the swirling river, his foot made an impression, pushing a pebble into the sand. There is a slight mark where the claws of his right paw grazed the surface and raised a small ridge. A faint trace of a moment in time. The prints remain sharp in the sand. If the rain returns, they will vanish by the afternoon. If not, this light wind will take them away in a day or so. I think he was here in the grey light of dawn this morning. He touched the sand only for a fleeting moment, but the mark he left is all I need to see him. He is a dog otter. I know that from the size of his paw print. A big male. He steps tentatively from the water, his body wet and sleeked, whiskers twitching as he senses the air. Thinking himself safe, he moves nimbly onto the gravel and searches for a moment for some small prey. Finding nothing, he moves on. I follow him. I cannot see where he walks on the gravel as he is too light to leave a mark here, but I don't need to find a track. I know where he's going. He won't stray far from the water. I follow him for 10 or 20 yards until the gravel gives way to the sand at the edge of the lock. Here he moved quickly, perhaps feeling vulnerable on the open stretch of sand. He has left his paw marks here, even though they are fading fast where the beach is exposed to the wind. I can make out the sweep of his tail through the sand as he enters the water once more. My boot prints mark my passage in beside the otters. He and I are brothers, both travellers in this wild place. Perhaps somewhere out in the oil-smooth water of the lock, 
A small brown head bobs on the surface of the water, and he watches me as I follow the trace of his footsteps. We both travel this wild place together, our worlds separated by the thin meniscus. That's it. That's good, <laughs> sir. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, that moment in time, that connection, that clue. Um, there's magic in that. Um, so the book, in the book is, in large part, about your mission to become a better naturalist, to discover these clues like what you just described and to learn more about the birds, the plants, nature more generally. But I think stick, sticking with the idea of a moment in time, kind of linked to your growing, I guess, environmental awareness, there's also this, um, this kind of greater understanding of about the landscape and how the landscape is changing and at this time and the, the debates that are going on about how that landscape may change in the future as well. Can we talk a bit more about that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a huge subject, but I'll try and sort of summarise it a bit. I, th I think we're, we're at a really fascinating time, particularly in the Highlands, uh, when we look at what's happening to our landscape and what's happening indeed to the, the people who live amongst the, these wild places and, and, and who travel them. You know, we've, what happened, well, what's happened here for the last 300 years, I guess, is that um, huge sporting estates have dominated um, Scotland and, and, and land ownership is, is, is concentrated in the hands of a few people in the Highlands, far more than anywhere else in Europe. And it always felt to me when I moved up here 30 or, or so years ago that, that those estates would be were, were something permanent and were something um, set in, in, in stone and that, that would never change. But I think what's, ha what's happening now is that they are beginning to change. And, and I think that's important because um, our landscape really here has been denuded and impoverished by um, the, the traditions of, of, of stag hunting and of um, driven grouse shooting, which has, which has decimated huge areas of the highlands and left it empty. I mean, I mean the highlands um, uh, in many ways that our open areas are, are certainly used to be and, and are still are to a large extent the playgrounds of, of, of wealthy men really the places where where, where people like to shoot or, uh, and hunt and that and uh, it's all a lot of it is queen victoria's fault of course because she <laughs> she 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 made the kilt and uh, and shortbread and uh, and living up in the highlands uh, fashionable um and that created a, a, a sort of highland mystique uh, of a lifestyle actually that that that, that was pretty much pure fiction um, but it but it meant that 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 um I suppose uh, people who, who who had great wealth wanted to, to to own a chunk of Scotland and a chunk of that 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 mystique, uh, and that that froze the place in time, and it 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 has it has meant that the that, that many of our native species uh, were hunted to extinction. Uh, the there was no regeneration of the forests that could be here, and um, it, it, it's it's impoverished our landscape, uh, and I always think that's a really strange thing. I always think you know ultimately it it, it, it you know where, where do we come from? We 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 come from the land that we stand on, 
uh, the land where we grew up, the the, the earth, you know, and um, I, and in many ways, you 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 can't own that. You don't own a mountain. You don't own a wild place. You 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 perhaps have rights over it. You have you you're you have maybe perhaps a, a duty of guardianship over it, but you but it is not yours to do with as you wish. And, and, and it has been for a long time and that is beginning to change. And I think there's the, you know, there are uh, efforts now towards rewilding. There are large areas that are, that are coming back. And I think the, the, a lot of it has to do with, I guess, people like myself um, uh, and, and in terms of myself being uh, inter interested in, in, in involved in outdoor pursuits. Um, and I think it's the, 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 the next generation uh, the up and coming, the younger folk who are in the hills now, climbing and walking and cycling and uh, and doing all kinds of weird stuff. <laughs> um, but uh, but I think that 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 was, if you'd sat around the Bothy fire twenty five years ago with with old crumblies like me. Um, environmental concerns were not things that really entertained us we were we were we would talk about mountains and how climbs and how how we got up them and what the trouble we'd had but we never questioned actually is this landscape the way it should be and um, but 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 younger people now i think are far more tuned in to to the environmental uh, issues that, that that are around them and i think that can only be a good thing so we, so now I, I think the, so it's the highlands where I live and it's where I can mainly talk about. I think I can see a change in direction. And, and, and I think I hope for the future that actually the, in 20 or 30 years, the highlands that, that, that we hand on to the next generation will actually be a much richer environmental place. Yeah, so there's room for optimism there, for sure. Yeah. Um, something I, I quite liked about the book there, because you know, regardless of which side of the argument you might be on, it's very easy to put a romantic case forward. You know, oh, mm -hmm. this is the, the glorious way forward and all that. But actually, you you do, despite being fairly clear about where you stand, um, <laughs> you you do recognise the the other side of the argument. And with with beavers, you you hunt for not hunt for beavers, but you you uh, hope to find beavers. Um, Mm, during mm. the course of your winter you do recognize that actually there there are conflicts and there are complex yes. issues that need to be discussed and um yeah, yeah. Those, those conversations yeah. need to take place for everyone's benefit yes they do i mean i mean beavers are are, are a good example um one of the things about beaver is that they are they were and i remember you know maybe just talk about them briefly it's it's it, it, i i find the fact that there are beaver living in scotland almost unbelievable to be quite no, honest it's amazing i love it <laughs> you know i can't quite uh, i can't quite grasp it and I, um uh, and of course being wild animals that 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 they're particularly awkward and difficult to see and so i haven't managed to see one yet but but i have seen the but they they're, they're not subtle beaver you know they sort of let you know they're about big time by felling trees and building dams. And uh, you can see evidence of them being about all over the place. And I think it's quite incredible that um, 
I can visit somewhere and I can I can I can touch what, what, with, the, with the teeth marks of a wild beaver in Scotland. That's something that my father couldn't do. His father and, and, and my great great grandfather could not have done that because they were they, they, you know, beaver have more or less been extinct for about 400 years. But I do recognize I mean, you know, I think we have to understand that, 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 that you know, we are as much a part of this landscape as the wildlife. And it's inevitable that you know, one of the things that beavers love to do is dam rivers. They love to flood floodplains. And floodplains are, of course, um, our, our finest um, farmland. So somehow we have to find a way of living uh, beside these creatures uh, in, in, in ways that the interests of people who, you know, who need to grow food in these places can be, can be accommodated as well. And it's, it's, it's not going to be easy. It's, it's going to be a controversial thing. There's going to be give and take in all of it. But at least that, that discussion, that, that conversation is now taking place, whereas 20 years ago, it, it just wasn't. Yeah. Good stuff. Let's talk about bodies. Bodies, you know, they feature <laughs> heavily in this book. Now, they you do have, indeed. <laughs> yeah, and you have hundreds of, of bodies up in Scotland. We, yeah. we have very few, as I understand it, in England. Uh, yeah, that's um, right. It's completely, it's quite likely that many of our listeners will have never seen a body, will have never stepped into a body, they won't really understand what we mean by the term body. Okay. So, can you tell us what is a body and how, how are they used and how have you used them? Right, right. That's a that's a, an, another big subject. <laughs> right, scattered across the Highlands. I'll talk about the Highland body. There are several hundred um, very very basic shelters, which are normally, if you think of an old cottage, uh, miles from nowhere, that doesn't have any heating, that doesn't have any electricity, that doesn't have any running water. Most of the time, doesn't have any any plumbing facilities. Um, and it's in the it's it's in the middle of nowhere. That's basically a bothy, um, and some, of course, are, are are maintained by the Mountain Bothies Association. Do a fantastic job of of, of of keeping these places standing, and some are maintained by by, by estates. But the, the thing about bothies is that, that they're a place where anyone can go and stay. Um, you can you carry your own food, your own coal. Uh, and sometimes you're in water into these places and uh, you don't know who you're going to meet. You've no idea what it's going to be like. And uh, so it's, it's, it always reminds me of, I, th I think it's a bit like going back into time, in time, really. It's a bit like going into a, a sort of medieval, a, 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 like a medieval inn because um, you know it's dark and you have to light your candles and your fire and you're huddled around there with a few souls who you probably don't know very well. Um, but one of the things that, 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 that does, ha I think it's one of the last, the last, um, uh, what's the word, not resting places, not, not the right word, but the, the, the last one of the few places where storytelling <clears throat> and uh, it still goes on. Um, most people will sit around a bothy and they'll start to tell each other stories. And, and, and that kind of storytelling is, after all, where all the, our arts come from, where our films, our novels, uh, 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 those stories, that, that's the way it was done hundreds of years ago. And so I think that's what fascinates me about bothies. Uh, they're incredible places in that way. Um, 
one of the things obviously that's come out of the the, the covid pandemic is that bothies have been closed now for over a year um and i don't know it, it, we don't know how the you know the, this this pandemic's gonna gonna affect us in years to come but it may be that when i wrote bothy tales which was stories and yarns that that, that, that i'd kind of heard and made up or whatever and in, in places uh, in bothies um I, I i don't know i might even have been talking about a lifestyle and a culture that is actually kind of dying out i don't know i hope not but it, it's yeah, possible it's a sad thought let's hope not um so they're not open again yet they're not open again yet. The difficult bit about Bothies is that they're an uncontrolled environment. You've no idea who's going to be there. They're mostly fairly small. They're impossible to clean. Um, and they're cold and damp. And they're kind of the perfect storm if you if you want to pass on a viral infection like like COVID-19. And so we're we're the 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 Bothian community, the outdoor community, is 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 you know, sitting on ten to hooks to see what happens to these places over the next year or so. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's a funny thing though, isn't it? You know how um, people do you know come together on on these sort of mini adventures or major adventures. You know, there's something about the outdoors, about the walk, the climb, the journey, and then when people do find themselves kind of away from the mobile phone away from the computer away from the emails and all that they do reconnect or they connect in a way that perhaps you wouldn't ordinarily mm. um there's a magic i guess yeah bodies um would facilitate that make that possible yeah i think bodies and uh, i think also outdoor pursuits generally um there is you know when you're out on, on a climb or in a wild place or, uh, you know, I, I've been out in the middle of blizzards and all kinds of things with other people. Uh, for one thing, you rely on them far more um, crucially than you do in other in other uh, environments. Basically, most of our environments are, are, are fairly controlled when we're when we're walking down the street or we're sitting in our, our, our houses. But 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 when when you're confronted by um, sort of wild and, and, and brutal nature as as it can be, you realise that the mountains don't really care about you at all. Um, but the one thing that 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 is it, that can perhaps decide whether you su survive or not is, is is the support and help of your of your companions. And I think that that having faced death sometimes with people, I mean, being in situations where you you're really um, not terribly sure whether you're going to get down alive or not, mm -hmm. um, it 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 makes a bond that you don't experience elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you the the book in the book you describe lots of journeys into the hills, and quite a few of those are with friends. And these are friends that you've had for for many years. And and you really do touch on that um, that bond that grows out of the shared adventure endeavor, the shared experience. Um, you kind of describe how they almost define us, frame the other parts of our lives. Mm. I was really struck by that. Um, 
Yeah, I think I think it, it, when I climbed a lot, uh, I don't I don't winter climb anymore. But I certainly, you know, winter climbing was it wasn't just a sport for me. Like a lot of people, it was a passion. It was what I did. It was it was it absorbed me um, totally. And I had to kind of make a living, so I did have to go and work now and again. But actually, that was peripheral. Um, and I think um, perhaps one of the, one of the great things that I think has uh, you know I, I, I'm sort of semi-retired now, and I suppose I'm a professional author. But 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 um, it, 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 now I can follow the passions that that I've always had, and um, that's a great thing. I, you know, I found um, sort of in retirement, I, I've I've developed much to my amazement. I <laughs> didn't expect this at all. I've developed a whole new career. Um, I, I, and I sort of reinvented myself in it, if you, if you want to use those sort of terms. <laughs> but maybe actually I've, what I've done is I've, I, f- I feel like I've reconnected with actually the person that I always was uh, through my writing and through the, the little adventures that, that, that I'm addicted to. Um, and it, it, it's, it's a, <laughs> um, I think, you know, the, the philosophy of life is you know, to, to you know, do what makes you happy. And um, what I've discovered is being, you know, being out in the hills, the simple pleasures of, you know, sitting by beside a bothy fire, perhaps simple pleasures of perhaps just sitting by a stream and, and, and you know, watching the birds and, and, and seeing the clouds shift across the, uh, the sky and just feeling, I guess, a part of somewhere special. Um, that's really that, that it's those moments that kind of make life, you know, and we, yeah. spend, we, we forget that we spend, um, we know so much time striving for other things, but actually what we're actually looking for is those few rare moments. And actually those moments are kind of there right with us all the time. The, the sense of joy of, of wonder in, in all of these natural spectacles really comes through strong in the book. And it's, for me, it's, it is, Perfect escapism this week as I was closing <laughs> the emails down and you know, dealing with all the, the daily drudge, um, but also really inspiring as well. I, I want to pull my walking boots on. I want to get the uh, the rucksack out, the, the cupboard, and I want to get out there and do these things that you're describing. So it really was a pleasure. No, oh, great. I'm pleased to hear that. So, so what's next? Because you had you saw some great wildlife, you went to some uh, beautiful places, but you didn't quite finish because of covid so what happens now <laughs> what happens now well that's that, that's a I, I, i'm immersed writing a fantasy novel at the moment uh-uh. but but i think i i, I want to um i want to i want to come back to, to write I, I i think i will come back i know i will i can't resist it really i will come back to writing about the landscapes that i spend so much time in and, and, and i love so much um but I want to give myself some time now. I want to. I, I want to. Um, you know, now the bothies are closed. I, I, I've got myself this little hot tent, which is a sort of a, a teepee thing, and it's got a. It's got a. Um, it's got a, a wood burning stove in it, so that so oh, that wow. I can. Uh, so, well, the idea of that is, you see, if bothies aren't are, are not going to open again or close for a while, it gives me a lot of independence, 
and and, and I'm rediscovering a, a, a different way of camping. It's it's like going back to 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 to, to Scott of the Antarctic. You know, you're in this <laughs> you're in this canvas tent with a little stove, and it's incredibly incredibly atmospheric. And I think over the next few years, I'm going to be exploring the Highlands using that. And uh, I think that, that 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 those adventures will undoubtedly end up in a book at some point. <laughs> that sounds great. We'll look out for it and maybe get you back on when you've uh, published the next one. <laughs> Oops. Oh, it'll be a pleasure. <laughs> well, it's been great having you with us. Really appreciate um, you giving us the time. Now, as well as the books, I know you have a website. I know you have a podcast. Can you tell us where people should go to to find more out um, about this? Oh, right. It's uh, www.johndburns.com. That's my website. And and, and you're quite right. I, I, I've during lockdown, I couldn't get out. And, and so I've been interviewing and talking to outdoor writers and mountaineers and naturalists and all kinds of people about their experiences in the outdoors. And, you know, when, when I started over a year ago now, I thought that but I'd maybe make 20 odd episodes. I think I've made 60 or 70 episodes wow. now. Uh, it just grew. And um that's been fascinating, actually. Really fascinating talking to other people. So you can find me there, and my books are are, are available through through Vertebrate Publishing, uh, and, and in all good books, good bookshops, and, and probably in some not so very good bookshops as well. <laughs> <laughs> you can get them there. So, but one of the great things about being an, an author now with the internet is is that um, my, my my readership can, can can get on the internet and and, and can talk to me. And that's great. I, 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 it amazes me. I think I think um, the last hill, the last hill, hill walker has just had over five hundred reviews on Amazon. That's incredible. I would never have thought it would have got there. And and so some of the reviews have been really moving, actually, about what people said about my books, about what my books have meant to them. So that's really great. Brilliant, John. Thanks very much, Dan. Thanks a lot. It was great. I really enjoyed that. Well, thanks for joining us. My guest today was John D. Burns. You've been listening to the Sheffield Libraries podcast, the place to hear authors discuss their work, to explore stories, fact and fiction that we think deserve to be heard. I hope you'll join us again.